Welcome to the Cardboard Crash Cast. I'm your host, Ethan. I'm not joined by anybody else today because it's around Christmas time. It's a little hard to get everybody together. But we're here with episode 12, Twilight Imperium Hot Takes. Because I didn't have my other co-hosts with me, I wanted to go through a post that I made a couple of months ago on the Twilight Imperium subreddit as well as the community tab on the YouTube channel. That post asked, let me know your spiciest Twilight Imperium hot takes. I have a few picked out here. I want to go through them. Uh, We're going to discuss whether I agree, whether I think that the hot take is uh, something that would really change the game or is something that kind of roused the community. We have 252 comments on the Reddit post and we've got like 20 comments on the community tab post, so I think it's going to be really interesting. Before we get into it, I wanted to say a couple of things. Thank you so much to the patrons who keep this channel running. If you want to go ahead and do that, check out the description down below. And also, if you haven't already, check out other episodes of the podcast. We've got ones on Twilight Imperium, Spirit Island, and on just general game design as well. It's usually me and at least one other person, so I'm sure you'll love them. Our first one is from the community tab post from Gargax3925. He says people shouldn't focus on whether factions are top or bottom tier, and should instead focus on all factions being fun to play depending on your playstyle or what you think is cool. I played Arborek and really enjoyed them, even though they're considered bad, just because I liked the thought of playing as weaponized rutabagas. I almost agree with this. So the idea of playing either a top or bottom tier faction is something that some people really get a good amount of enjoyment out of. Now, in a completely normal setting, I don't think that it really matters, and I completely agree with you. If you're playing just with your friends, or you haven't, you know, watched every single faction guide out there, listened to all the different podcasts about tournament settings, and really participate in that sense, then I don't think it really matters. If you look at something like a sports game, uh, basketball, for example, They play with, like, this very, very specific type of flooring, their shoes are specific, their basketball is made out of a specific type of material, and that all really matters down to the tiny little millimeter of precision when playing in a tournament setting when they're trying to win for money. Or if you're playing at Gen Con trying to win a tournament, the idea of a faction being better is really the idea of a faction being flexible. And that goes for any board game. Uh, any sports, anything like that, is the amount of different situations you can be put in. If you're more flexible for those situations, you're going to be better. Now, that being said, once you take, you know, that basketball game and just put it in a court um, around, you know, your high school with a bunch of friends, I don't think it matters in that sort of situation. People are not pushing towards that high level of, you know, tier because they're not themselves that skillful. And that's perfectly okay. You don't have to commit yourself to any one specific game. Someone under him says, that's a really good perspective. Miss Sagittarius says, I hate the idea of this massive scope of a game, but then being pigeonholed into only the good races. I think you're only pigeonholed if you believe that you are. There's 25 for a reason, like Argex replies under that. Yes, absolutely. Any race can be good. And anybody can be good at it. Just like a game of magic, you can play with any deck, but if you pilot it better than the other people at the table, if you're around a casual play setting, 
then you're probably going to do better inherently. And really, the amount of fun that you get out of the game is so much more important than actually winning, even if you end up really, really petering out at like round two or three. Now, if your idea of fun is winning and you can't have fun without winning, that's when you start to get into those extremely top tier factions that can get themselves out of bad situations or just have more options in those situations. We're going to move on to a quick one next. Twilight Imperium doesn't take a long time to play. You're just taking forever to do anything. That's from Hilkmeister1382. Oh, man. The idea of you just taking a long time to do anything is completely accurate if you're playing in a tabletop simulator sort of situation. Online, with the game sort of taking care of itself and everybody being able to do everything all at once and discuss all at once, is a completely dis different situation to actually playing on tabletop facing people. Because we have situations like you know, snacks being eaten, uh, people drinking, people enjoying themselves with their friends. I think the game does inherently take a long time because of that social interaction. If you remove that social interaction and just, you know, leave it to a chat box or just a, a simple way of communicating about the game itself, then yes, you can blame it on the player just taking forever to do anything. But I would say that to a new player, I disagree. Uh, Twilight Imperium does take a long time to play. I think if you can get yourself down to that two or three hours, then your idea of a long time is definitely different than the average board game player's idea of a long time. So it completely depends on the player playing. We're going to move on to the Reddit post now from R Sheets. He says, the agenda phase is a labyrinth of timing windows with faction abilities, game effects, and action cards all convening at once. Makes what should be the zany heartbeat of the game the biggest slog. And then I wanted to comment on the top comment under him, Dog. The agenda phase is largely trash. It needs to be overhauled in a Codex 4, please. So although I do agree... I don't think that it's that big of a deal. If you play the agenda phase the way it's supposed to be played, where it is this like really back and forth debate style, I think you can turn anything into a fun situation, a fun conversation with your friends. If you're playing in terms of like a higher play setting, then yes, the agenda phase doesn't actually change enough for it to be worth it. You can sort of count the deck and make sure that nothing insane is coming out. And especially if you're playing with the extra kingdom, you can prevent anything insane from happening. I would, I would agree with the fact that it needs to be changed at least a little bit. Every so often I find myself just thinking, well, everybody wants this thing to happen. So of course it's going to be a unanimous vote. I'd rather them being a little bit more aggressive with the agendas and expand on the idea of it changing the game as a whole. Although some people would disagree with me, I think the agenda that changes the strategy cards to be where you pick it for somebody else instead of for yourself is actually the route the agenda phase should go down. That law being in play truly changes the game, and in a way that's predictable for all the players. It's not a complete random experience, but it's more of a negotiation, hey, please give me this card, but the other person has leeway over you sort of situation for the rest of the game. That is so much more exciting and so much more interesting to the actual play experience as a whole. But then again, the action deck also has a bunch of ways of just removing that law. So I think 
this needs like an entire expansion around it, not just a codex. And if an expansion literally had no factions, but just its entire purpose was revamping the agenda phase and revamping the action card deck, I would be totally for it. Absol on the Space Cats Peace Turtles Discord has an entire codex specifically made by her that's meant to make the agenda phase more wild and interesting and takes away a lot of those agendas that are like elect planets, nothing happens sort of situation. So if you're listening to this and you want a better agenda phase, I would check out that Discord server and see uh, where she gets all of her ideas and information from. We're going to move down now to free Eric Hartman now. <laughs> First of all, it's funny, but uh, he says the X minus one refresh and wash trade meta ruins the negotiation aspects of TI. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, the X minus one trade meta is basically when you take the trade uh, strategy card and refresh people's commodities, you're expected to get them back minus one. Now, this is a high level of play. This is a meta situation. This isn't something that's going to come up if you don't know about the meta, but he does go on to explain it more. He says, it effectively removes commodities from the game. Uh, commodities that are useless to you and valuable to other people make for super interesting negotiations. He also says it decreases the value of the trade strategy card. With the meta, the cost is one commodity, which is the smallest amount that you could give somebody, and the primary is equally devalued. If I refresh someone for two, I'm giving them a discount, but with the X minus one, even asking for X minus two uh, is extorting somebody. He also goes down further. uh, It's a really long post. You should go ahead and read it for yourself if you're interested. He says it makes all the players richer. There's plenty of threads out there about how the map is too rich and it's going to result in a boring game. So this third point is what I am interested in the most. I don't think that the trade strategy card should actually be used on people as often as it is, especially in high levels of play. Making everybody richer is interesting the first couple of times you're playing with your new casual group, but if you actually go and give everybody that, you're giving people a way to come back at you later. Trade goods are an exponential resource. They're spent on positioning objectives and everything that is going to be able to overtake you in the long run. So I think a new player should absolutely stay away from refreshing everybody's trade goods with the trade strategy card. If you're interested, I would refresh at least one or two people, especially the neighbors right next to you, in order to get this meta, but don't feel obligated to do so. You're not mean just because you don't give your enemies free stuff. That's something that I absolutely pound into new players' heads when they first grab this card. A lot of people end up disagreeing with him and saying that it's the best way to go about it. Uh, The person under him, he nibbles at comments, says about uh, he agrees with a six-player game. He feels like it's too rich, but everything else he's saying actually doesn't make sense. I think that this is talking about a meta that's way over the heads of 99% of people playing this game. So that is absolutely a hot take when it comes to the general public of Twilight Imperium, but if you're getting down to the super nitty-gritty math, then sure, I would say that the X-1 trade meta is probably something that's here to stay because it gets you out of those uh, situations where people just see you as a threat if you don't do it. 
it's all about threat assessment. And if you don't give somebody something for free, they shouldn't uh, see you as an enemy. But I know that a lot of people do. So you just kind of have to feel people out and play against the players just as much as you're playing against their factions. We have a really hot take under that. Uh, a new one from Geeks30. He says, most people that play the game are best served never listening to an SCPT episode, reading a guide online, or coming to the subreddit. I only wish that I could go back in time and rediscover all the strategy and idiosyncrasies of each faction by just playing with my group of friends. I couldn't agree more. Just because that I have all of these faction guides on the channel doesn't mean that I actually think that every single player should watch them. There are some players that want to get an intimate understanding of new board games that they play, and the fact that this board game is built in a way that sort of has all these factions that break the generic rules of the game is super interesting to me, and I wanted to make them out of passion projects. But just because I have them online, and just because Matt and Hunter over on SCPT also have their guides up, doesn't mean that they think it's like the absolute go to like be all end all nobody else can have any other opinions i in fact i know they don't think that because they say it at the beginning of those episodes anyway i honestly think you're better off just looking at the factions picking them off the art and maybe being influenced by somebody who's already played the game in terms of complexity going for a lower complexity faction or lower complexity spirit and spirit island or whatever game you're playing and just enjoying the game role-playing your faction more than actually trying to win by doing the absolute best thing and building on turn one, turn two, specifically on uh, what the guide told you to do. Another point that I wanted to make is that guides online and people like me, I can't predict what's going to happen in your game. I can tell you what's a good idea if you get yourself into different situations, but also I'm not playing against the people that you're playing against and I'm not you. So although that I can look at it in a vacuum and say, you know, these five different things might happen to you and these are the five best ways to deal with those things. That's talking in like a completely neutral situation. I can't actually go in there and tell you what to do because one of those things might piss the other people off at the table so much that they end up coming after you. And even though that they wouldn't piss off my friends, they might get under the people's skin that you're playing against and lose the game for you. So you need to make those decisions on your own without keeping in the back of the head, well, this is what this random person online told me to do. Because we all know that people online are always true all the time. I'm just going to do a couple more here. The next one is from Upvoting Looks Hard. He says, the game would be better without support for the throne cards. I think this wraps up about a third to a half of everything said under this post. People do not like this card, and I could not agree more. I know the creators and playtesters of this game meant well by this card, giving away a bonus that could not be better in order to truly incentivize something. What actually ends up happening is that people just do a support for the throne swap, which is something many of us know about. And if you're playing a six player game, you just basically have a nine point game instead of a 10 point game because everybody does a support for the throne swap and then just has so much of an easier time getting to the win. Part two of this is that I also believe that giving somebody support for the throne completely decentivizes conflict to the point where it takes a game that's already trying not to be space risk and puts it into so much more 
politics and so much less space risk, I actually think it loses part of its identity. Although warfare shouldn't be your number one way of winning, it should be a path to victory if you need it to be. And the fact that support for the throne is now under you and you can't attack the person's left without actively losing what wins you the game means that you're never going to go left. And even if it makes sense to in terms of the objectives, you're not getting a minus one just to get a plus one. So not only does this decrease the amount of skill needed to get to the end of the game, it also decreases the interaction between players. I think support for the throne is probably tied for the agenda phase with the worst thing to happen in this game. I want to close it out with two more here. Hasiula says, Exploration is just one big slot machine, making games more luck heavy, which in strategy games just ruin the fun, especially that you almost can't control it. Sometimes you might not even recognize that the other person just hit two attachments that are worth three of your planets where you get like one commodity and one infantry on the board. This system is an improvement from TI3 where not only other players can get something much better, but you can also control your lost stuff, but it's still bad. This goes for relics also. This is definitely a hot take because I feel like exploration made something in the game useful that wasn't really useful before, and that's planet traits. I was very excited when exploration was being added to the game because planet traits rarely meant, meant anything before other than objectives and boring stuff like that. Exploration, I think, is actually a lot more precise than it seems. Sure, yes, it's kind of random in the way that it gives you an exponential bonus towards the beginning of the game, towards either getting trade goods, commodities, and stuff like that. But the fact that each deck has a theme, and the decks aren't really that large, I think it's around 12 to 15 cards per deck, you're going to go through the deck multiple times, and you can definitely count cards. You can say, okay, well, there's only five relics in this deck, and there's only 10 cards left. So it's a 50% chance for me to grab a relic, or a 50% chance for me to have a situation where I have to destroy an uh, infantry slash uh, have a mech on that planet. Because they have those very specific themes, even though what they give you is random, the input randomness actually isn't that bad compared to the output randomness. The output randomness actually isn't that bad compared to the input randomness. I don't really think exploration is as bad as you're saying, but I do understand where it's coming from. And I'm going to end it on one last one, EU Menesis. I ended it because they uh, said, Cardboard Grudge is your channel, love your vids, keep up the good work. Thank you very much for uh, commenting on that. These comments like this absolutely make my day and make me want to go on. But his hot take is completely peaceful and diplomatic games are no fun. I want to play TI to make some enemies at my table. Also, you should expect that our alliance will get sour sometimes. Completely agree. This is why Volwraith Cabal is one of my favorite factions in the game. Absolutely destroying people and overrunning people with that faction, or even doing it with the uh, Mentak or with the Barony of Letnev. Those moments are the most fun in the game, even though it doesn't exactly have an incentive to do it unless you're going for an objective. The players who sort of lose control and are in that point hell of seven to eight points towards the end of the game and just get really desperate to get those last couple of points to the point where they're destroying people and breaking alliances and making enemies is the most exciting part of the game for me. And the fact that you actually have options to do that is what makes this game as fun as it is for me in particular. 
I want to thank everybody for coming around during this shorter podcast. If you loved this, then go ahead and comment down below what you'd like out of the next one. There's about 180 more comments, uh, hot takes, way more controversial ones down here. So if you want a part two, I would love to do a part two. If you want to hear other stuff about Twilight Imperium, check out the channel. And if you're watching this on another podcast platform other than YouTube, go ahead and give us five stars and rate it. It would mean the world to me. Without further ado, have a fantastic rest of your day. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum.